BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Jumping right into this, and Saban was right in his postgame presser. If it stinks, it stinks. If it stinks, it stinks for everyone. The question, is this an air freshener kind of stink, or is this a carpet replacement kind of stink? I've experienced both. Um, I had to sell a car once. Don't ask. You know, if we if we say this sort of less olfactorily offensive, the question really about the Mercer game for Alabama, is this a glass half full uh, or glass half empty uh, type situation? As we roll through this, I'm going to try to be a little bit neutral, uh, but we know that I'll fail in that question. Uh, but let's jump in. Let's do this. Before we pick sides of the ball, let's talk about a source of smell that exists on both sides. Leadership. Who are the leaders of the team? Where do the leaders come from? Uh, we broke this down in a Zoom call uh, preseason, or actually we broke this down in a preseason show, so everyone has access to it. Uh, and I stand by the predictions that we made on that podcast, the individual sort of the narratives, the stories behind each of those individuals. Uh, if you haven't heard it, strongly encourage you to go pick that up. That would have been maybe one of the mailbag shows that released late uh, late July. Uh, definitely encourage you to check that out if you haven't. We listed quite a number of players, maybe a dozen uh, or more, that we think will evolve into leaders. What we need, however, or what the Alabama team needs, are for leaders to step up and play that role and act in that role to embrace that role much more aggressively, much more um, quickly now. Uh, now is when we need that to happen. Uh, when we think about Saban again, again and again, and I told you so again, Saban harped on practice patterns uh, last week. And, you know, because Saban is is layered, you know, kind of like an onion with his messaging, uh, that message, I think, had multiple meanings and multiple targets. Uh, of course, the team and every individual on the team, uh, everyone is accountable for their self-development uh, and uh, accountable for themselves. But I think Saban's also with that message and the repeating of that message is that he has given license to the leaders to speak up. If they're a little apprehensive, a little nervous, Saban's repeated message is really giving them license to, to step up and uh, really to metaphorically take the team by the short hairs. Uh, and I think that happens this week. I think after the Mercer game going into to the Florida game, I think some of these leaders really start to uh, step up and operate and exercise within that leadership capacity. All right, let's jump into the offense, and uh, we're going to hit straight up the offensive line. Last week, I was reluctant to call it an unsettled position. I wanted to say not yet settled as opposed to unsettled because unsettled has uh, a little more baggage, so to speak. Today, I say the offensive line is unsettled, especially on the right side of the job. I think, uh, bordering on a prediction here, I think Chris Owens is about to lose his starting job at right tackle. Um, and I really hate to say that about Chris Owens. If you watch, and I encourage you to watch the post-game press conference, not, not only with the coach, but with the players too, 
uh, you get a real quick sense for why we think Chris Owens is a leader on the team. And uh, it's just a good dude. He's a guy that you want to root for. Uh, and so it's against that backdrop that I still predict that uh, he is likely to lose his starting position. One thing that was interesting, maybe uh, a little bit telling, is when the number when the when the twos came in, when the backups came in, Chris Owens shifted from right tackle to left tackle. And so he got he got some reps. Uh, Chris did at the left tackle position. And so you think, well, that's interesting. If he were truly entrenched as a starter at the right tackle position, would you want him practicing very much at the left tackle position? And you can make the case, yes, we need someone prepared uh, to back up Evan. So that's a thought. Uh, it could be just a preview of what his future role is, uh, the backup there at left tackle. Uh, it's in interesting now that you know Chris has started it are uh, not started, but certainly practiced significantly and started, uh, if we count last year, at center and now right tackle. And uh, in a game in which he started, he played backup at, uh, uh, at left tackle. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, with the backups, Darian Dalcourt stayed at center, which I think is a demonstration of him being entrenched at the position. He just needs reps. He just needs more time uh, in position. And so we were able to uh, provide more of that for him Saturday. Saturday against Mercer, uh, Damian George came in with the number twos at right tackle, which was interesting because last week J.C. Latham played uh, the the backup position uh, at right tackle, so that was interesting to see sort of the rotation there. Latham did come in with the backups and he played right guard, uh, so something something to watch there. How the how the twos play out, uh, we may actually see. Uh, and again, sort of uh, shout out to uh, Kennesaw Caleb who brought to a Zoom call the 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 idea of Kendall Randolph uh, moving back to right tackle as opposed to the tight end position. And so we may see that uh, next week. It's going to be interesting. There are four names, I think, up in the air uh, for potential reps at the, the right tackle position. Obviously, Chris Owens could keep it. Damian George, uh, Kendall uh, Randolph, and J.C. Latham could each uh, spend time at that position next week and over subsequent subsequent weeks. I think what we do long term, I think there's what do we do for that position Saturday against Florida and what do we do at that position over the course of the season? I think there, I think those might be two answers. Uh, obviously, we want our best uh, our best case scenario in there for Florida, uh, which may be floor management. And so while I think the the growth, not just the incremental sort of how do we marginally improve the position that may be Kendall or that may be uh, putting Chris back. But the growth, sort of the leap of improvement that we need at the position and on the right, uh, the right side of the line may come with the consequence of lack of experience or youth, uh, sort of a learning curve uh, from, uh, from a, youth, a youthful perspective. And so I still am bullish on J.C. Latham, Latham ending the season, and that may be something we want to watch for in the Southern Miss game. Uh, but against Florida, I think we're much more likely to see Owens or maybe Randolph um, maybe some George, maybe some Damian George. He's at least been in the system uh, a, a year longer, uh, though he has not seen the field a whole lot in uh, in his tenure. That's the offensive line. Uh, Bryce uh, Bryce Young at the quarterback position, I think, was solid. He was 19 of 27, 227 yards, three touchdowns. That was a nice number. Seven in his first uh, two starts, with that, which I think is impressive. He was hurt by drops, and obviously he's going to be uh, hurt by the offensive line. And uh, in their play as well, I think this game sort of encapsulated the concept of the team needs to play better around Bryce. I think Bryce did everything that he could. I think there were drops uh, by the by the receivers. We'll talk about those. Uh, and then we just talk about the offensive line. So I think players need to play better around Bryce. I think Bryce is doing everything that he's being asked to do. He's in a leadership position there at quarterback, but it's also a dependent position. And uh, he needs uh, position groups around him. Uh, to step into a void, uh, so to speak. Let's talk about the wide receivers, and I'm going to intentionally paint uh, paint with a broad brush, talk about them as a unit. Um, Saturday against uh, Mercer, the wide receivers just were not dialed in. We know what they can do. We know what they're capable of doing. We saw that, uh, you know, a day, let's say, and we saw that last week against Miami, but they were not dialed in Saturday against Mercer. Uh, Jamison Williams, he certainly uh, showed off his speed, uh, but he had drops. Uh, he did have a touchdown, uh, but he had penalties as well. And uh, where he shoved uh, the defender who maybe got into him a little bit, hey, should the defender have done that? No. Should Jamison have responded in that way? Hell no. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, they always get the, the, what do they say? Someone can shove, but they always get the, the guy who comes back. They always get the second guy. And uh, Jameson was definitely guilty of that. For my money, I was surprised to see him back in the game so quickly. Uh, it could just be, be a function of his talent. Uh, but uh, I was a little bit surprised there. I thought he might he might sit out uh, a possession, not the game, uh, but I thought he might sit out a position uh, possession. But he did not. He came back in. Uh, I think that speaks to uh, Saban really likes the kid, which is good. And so you let things slide sometimes. But uh, Jameson, I don't think completely had his head into the game. And so we need to see some improvement there. Again, I think we will. Uh, Mitchie's a known commodity. I think he's pretty even. He's pretty steady uh, in what he can uh, in what he can deliver. And so it was good to see there. I think there were a couple of balls that were just weren't placed right uh, for him. That's a little bit of Bryce. I think that's a little bit of offensive line as well. JoJo Earl looked really good. True freshman getting, uh, he played against Miami, but he got a lot more reps, a lot more opportunity in different positions uh, against Mercer, which was good. He had seven uh, catches for 85 yards, uh, really leading the way both in, in uh, receptions and yardage. Uh, across the receiver position. And and so think about this, right? He's going to come in as a freshman and every game is significant to him because everything is new, everything is learning. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the talent drop off sort of enigma that bothers him. He says this is my first opportunity to to play before the home crowd. This is my first opportunity to really get an extended uh, 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 set of plays, an extended role. And so this is all new. I'm going to give it my best. Uh, because that's really all that I know. And, and relative to him playing high school last year, Mercer is a step up in talent, uh, at least a little. And so he didn't have the drop off that that maybe uh, maybe some of the others do. But I give uh, JoJo Earl a lot of credit, and uh, I like what we're seeing in, in uh, him in terms of his uh, uh, his emerging talent. Uh, Treshawn Holden. He only had two catches, but really demonstrated uh, some good hands, uh, some good mitts. And so we think about the recruiting class. Last year and this year, uh, it would be easy to look at Treshawn as being sort of the second tier uh, amongst those players. But he he was on the field quite a bit Saturday. Uh, again, had uh, two two catches. Really demonstrated his hands. He's a taller receiver. I think you caught one sort of over a defender, and then one was a catch. We made a couple of moves to get the first down. Uh, he's a big bodied receiver, and uh, I think he's someone that we could really grow to trust. Uh, especially going for uh, going, you know, uh, third down conversions, going for first downs. Uh, he's someone that uh, that we need to keep on, keep an eye on because I think he's uh, he really has the opportunity to contribute. Uh, Jace McClellan and Slade Bolden uh, each had one catch, uh, both for a touchdown, and so uh, I thought it was nice to see them uh, produce uh, even with only uh, limited grabs, uh, but they were on the field uh, quite a bit as well. Uh, tight ends. I think uh, Alabama was silent in this uh, position relative to the stat sheet. I think Cam uh, Cameron Latou was very solid in blocking and on special teams, which we'll talk to in a minute. He did have an opportunity potentially uh, at the goal line, and it was a play that looked almost exactly like uh, what he did uh, against Miami. We're about five, you know three to six yards off the off the goal line. He fires out straight, and so all of this is sort of in a limited distance. He fires out straight, takes an outside, a quick outside step, and then cuts in for uh, just a, a sort of a skinny slant. And uh, he was hit for a touchdown last week, and he was equally as open uh, against Mercer and just Bryce. Uh, and then again, I think he was getting pressure, uh, and so maybe maybe this was the fault of the offensive line. But uh, as a result of pressure, I don't think Bryce saw him. And so uh, Cam, although he didn't get credit for a touchdown, he did exactly, exactly what he needed to do. His his execution was equal to that of last week where he scored the touchdown. He just didn't get a ball thrown to him for him to catch. But what he did is he executed and he put that on film. And so teams are going to have to uh, recognize, hey, that is something that Alabama consistently does at the goal line. And if I'm a if I'm a defensive coordinator uh, scheming against Alabama, I don't really care that he didn't get past the ball against Mercer. I care that they're running that play and he consistently demonstrates that he can get open. And so I need to account for that in my coverage and scheme. And if I put someone there to cover uh, Latou there, then I'm taking that player away from uh, from another uh, a point of emphasis uh, on the defense. And so I like that Latou demonstrated that. I wish he'd gotten the ball. I like him, uh, I like tight end scoring touchdowns. 
But uh, nonetheless, I like his performance, which falls off the stat sheets a lot, uh, a lot of times. But I liked, uh, I liked his performance, and so I want to call him out there. Uh, Billingsley played more than he did against Miami, and he played earlier than uh, he played against Miami. And so I'm going to consider that a plus. We didn't do a whole lot designed to the tight end, and I think that's something that uh, – uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Saban wants to sort of poke uh, Florida in the ribs using the, the tight end next week. And so uh, the fact that w- they were maybe a little bit dormant against Mercer uh, might point to uh, us having something up our sleeves uh, with the tight ends next week. So that'll that'll certainly be interesting to watch. Uh, running backs, uh, you know, I threw this out sort of uh, a throwaway uh, thought last week, and then it has done nothing but intrigue me uh, over the course of the week. What if we rank our running backs – you know, sort of one through three every week, and then we see what sort of that trend line starts to look like. And so I'm, I've sort of been fascinated by that, uh, by that, by that idea. And so watching uh, the the primary running backs, the primary three, we'll get Roydale in there, but uh, he's not there yet. Uh, but uh, if we start thinking about the the top three running backs, and this is one of those situations, but there's three of them, so someone has to be one and someone has to be three. Uh, but it's not a function of I like the one and don't like the three. I like all of the guys. Is This is just how I'm ranking them based on uh, their performance. And I think that with extended uh, production or extended opportunities, even if they play for another school, I think all these guys are ones. Uh, so let's be very clear on that. So I think uh, in order, uh, I would put uh, Brian Robinson. I thought he had the best performance of the running backs. He had 10 carries for 70 yards and a touchdown. I think if he, I think if he had 20, 25 carries, uh, he would have gone well over 100 yards. Uh, he is a physical runner, and a physical runner is going to get even more physical as the game goes on because it's going to wait because the defense is going to be worn down. I think if he had gotten, I, I think, you know, and you could do easy math if he was if he was averaging, you know, 70 yards on 10 carries and he gets 20 carries, so that's 140. But you know, sometimes averages don't hold out. I legit think he could have gone for 150 or more yards, maybe a couple of three touchdowns. I think he would have gotten stronger as the game uh, went on, and I think he would have broken uh, a really nice run at some point. But I think performance on the field, I I think he was our best-looking running back uh, Saturday. I think Jace McClellan, his average was a lot lower. He was four carries for 13 yards. He did have a touchdown, but he was used in the passing game more so than the other backs. Uh, he had one catch for 21 yards, uh, so down the field a little bit, uh, a little bit of running, and uh, he scored a touchdown as well. So I think the diversity uh, in uh, of his performance as well as his production uh, buoyed him into the second spot. And Trey Sanders, I put him in the third spot, and it's largely a function of his production. He was seven carries for 30 yards. I'm going to say this about Trey, though, and he got sort of rolled up in the backfield uh, a couple of times. The only time that you know, not counting sacks, right? Let's get back to the offensive line. Uh, the only times that were really sort of lost yardage handing to a running back, it was Trey Sanders. And I think he was more guilt. Uh, he was more victim of the situation than, than guilty of, of not, you know, being an effective runner. When he got to the edge, he looked more fluid than any of the other running backs. He looked more polished. Uh, he looked more upside potential than uh, than the other two backs. And so if if you rank them based on their performance, their production Saturday, then I have to put uh, Trey in uh, third spot. If you rank them across, what could you envision them doing? I have a hard time not putting Trey uh, at the top of that list. And so that'll be interesting to see how sort of those plot lines, you know, converge or diverge. Uh, as the uh, as the season goes on, so overall, uh, offensive side of the ball, uh, twenty four first half points is is not bad. Although uh, Alabama left a lot on the table, there were four stalled drives, uh, two with penalties and two with drops. I think those are correctable, but they're also the types of errors that can cost you a game. And so uh, Saban is right. Uh, we need to get this. We need to get this ironed down, or uh, or we can drop games. Uh, when we go mini game ball on offense. Uh, I'm going to go Trayshawn Holden for all the reasons that we talked about. He he truly was, uh, I thought, epitomized the mini game ball. He's not going to get headlines for what he did, but what he did with a couple of key possessions, helping move uh, move the chains. We talk about stalling drives. He helped uh, keep dr- uh, drives alive and really demonstrated uh, a lot of confidence and poise and really good hands. And so what we saw him deliver 
translates, I think, into, into future weeks, I think, in, uh, in uh, you know, potentially really, really exciting ways. All right. Now, let's flip the field to defense. And uh, I'm going to use three words to just summarize uh, the, the, the experience watching uh, the defense, Alabama's defense on Saturday. One, I was pleased. Uh, two, I was nervous. And three, I was annoyed. I was pleased with the first half shutout, uh, holding Mercer to uh, 52 yards in the first half in three of 12 uh, on third down conversions uh, overall. I know there's a talent differential, but uh, I think the, I think Mercer ran for 8,000 yards uh, last week against Point, and they uh, scored 69 points. And so the fact that they were shut out in the first half and held only to 52 yards, I think, is a credit to Alabama's defense. I was nervous. What made me nervous? Will Anderson made me nervous, and that uh, cheap block that was placed on Will Anderson that uh, uh, knocked him out of the game, knocked him to the locker room, and knocked him to uh, into questionable status uh, for the Florida game. If there is good news, is and there and there is good news, is that um, he is not injured for the season. Uh, he's questionable for Florida, but he will return. Uh, it's just a matter of when and how quickly. Uh, but still, that's definitely something, and we'll unpack that a little more in a, in, in a moment. But certainly, that left uh, sort of a sour taste uh, as the game ended. I didn't like the final score, but I really didn't like uh, Will Anderson being hurt. And so, watching games the rest of the evening, uh, my mind kept going back to Will Anderson, Will Anderson, Will Anderson. So, so uh, still remain nervous today, Monday, when um, uh, uh, recording this on Sunday. It probably won't drop until Monday or Tuesday, and so we'll know more by the time you're listening to me say these words. But nonetheless, uh, a little nervous about uh, Will there. And then annoyed. Uh, what the what with the secondary? Uh, definitely uh, definitely annoyed about the secondary. And so let's talk about that because I actually think I have an answer. I think I know what the what is uh, now that I've given uh, given some additional thought. So let's talk about the secondary. Uh, Marcus Banks and Kool-Aid McKinstry uh, made their first career starts and their first career interceptions uh, against Mercer on Saturday which is pretty incredible when you consider Alabama played a team that doesn't pass the ball a whole lot, that two, both of the starting corners in their first starting experience uh, were beneficiaries of, uh, of uh, interception. So that, that was definitely good. Uh, you know, if we want to say something that annoyed me a little bit, uh, even more specifically with the secondary, and I, I'm going to say this like I'm entitled, uh, but what's going on with Josh Job and uh, Jalen Amar Davis you know, these mysterious minor injuries that kept them out of practice. Of course, Saban gets to run his ship as he pleases, and I give him full reign to do that. Uh, at the same time, hey, <laughs> what's happening here? Uh, there was not a single article. There was not a single reference to those. And look, had it been referenced, they would have been in a dozen articles because that's what articles are, or a writer's interpretation of what they hear in pressers for the most part especially sort of the beat reporters, so to speak. And that's not negative. That's not bad. It's just the nature of it. And if you listen to press conferences and read enough articles, you sort of get that's the flow. That's the rhythm. And so there was nothing to read because there was nothing to set about uh, said about it. And the media uh, is very limited in what they get to see and hear from practices. And so Job and Jalen um, missing practice for minor injuries. I think this also speaks to maybe a softening of Saban. I think in I think year, in years past they would have played through and and we've and we've all heard you know coaches our, our media talk about you know Coach Saban sort of grinding every ounce of production out of his players uh, to the extent that you know you don't leave Alabama and not need surgery those types of comments and so I think uh, sort of an older school Saban would have said rub some dirt on it and keep playing and uh, this version of Saban says I'm going to need you guys more in the future than I need you now. So let's rest you up. And so I think that's net good, uh, but it was interesting. It was interesting to see that. Uh, the safety positions, I think, uh, a little bit unsettled. Now here, I do think unsettled is too strong, especially as we sort of walk through some additional thoughts that I have. But everyone seemed healthy. Every, everyone uh, seemed uh, on the field uh, in different capacities. So Jordan Battle uh, was there. DeMarco Hellams was back from injury. It was good to see him back. Uh, he's wearing a different number. He's wearing number two. And so my first thought was, what's what's PS2 doing back there? Where's Patrick Sictane, uh number two last year? But, uh, you know, oh yeah, that's Hellams. Uh, he wore 29 last year. Uh, Brian Branch was there, Malachi Moore, and then Daniel Wright. And we all saw Daniel Wright, uh, number three, if, uh, if we watch the games. Uh, there were two busts in the secondary that led to touchdown touchdowns. 
And it's very easy to get mad at Daniel Wright for those two busts. I think uh, the t- I think we sort of knew that that he was the one out of place. And uh, at first, one of them looked like McKinstry. Uh, and then Saban, I think, corrected everyone's uh, collective opinion on that with his um, conversation, if you will, with uh, with Daniel Wright. And so it's easy to say, man, those two busts and Daniel Wright. But I think there's there's more to it. There's more to it than that. And so I have a theory um, on on these busts. And so let me let me roll this out. Uh, sort of my thinking here. My first thought was. The corners, we're playing backup corners, not the starting corners. These are backup corners. And so maybe that contributes to some miscommunication across the unit. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good idea, but that's not it. I don't think that's the answer. Maybe contributed a little bit, but that's not the answer. And then I thought, well, you know, DeMarco Hellams was back, and he missed a lot of time in camp practice uh, as well as didn't play against Miami. So maybe him being out contributed to – the uh, the confusion and the miscommunication. And I thought, well, no, that's not it. I don't think that's it. That doesn't resonate with me as the answer. Could it be a contributing factor? Sure. Is it the reason? No, it's not the reason. That does not that does not sit well with me. That does not resonate with the with the reason. And then then it dawned on me. I know why. Think about Alabama's secondary. Think about Alabama's defense. Alabama plays from a base nickel. We call it the base nickel on, on the podcast. Saban will talk about base or regular defense as being four defensive backs, but Saban will kind of kid. We play, we mostly play nickel. And so we kind of, that's kind of our base. And, and we said that on the, on the podcast for years that we really, we run a, a more of a base nickel than a base four defensive back. So we base with five defensive backs. And then if we make a shift in DB count, uh, it's typically, typically to go to six. So to a dime long yardage situations, passing teams, whatever it is. And so typically, and I've not run the analytics over this, but I'd be pretty safe pretty safe in, in saying that 90% of the time, perhaps better than 90% of the time, Alabama's playing uh, defense with five or six defensive backs on the field. We will go to, Alabama will go to a regular or a four defensive back against a, uh, in a, in a very clear running situation, a goal line situation where there's just limited real estate or a short, uh, you know, a third and short with a critical first down where a team is most likely going to do something in a a confined space, then we might go four defensive backs. Rarely, almost never do we play material snaps in a game with only four defensive backs. But wait, against Mercer, we did. I counted the, the the DBs multiple times throughout the game, especially early to get a sense for what we were going to do. And there you were, four defensive backs. And so if your muscle memory playing the, the safety position, if your muscle memory from all of your practices, from all of your games, from all of your snaps, maybe hundreds of plays, multiple hundreds of plays, maybe better than a thousand plays, practice, and game, you have help over the top, then you're going to play Mercer and just intuitively think you have help over the top because that's the world you live in. And against Mercer, where we were playing four defensive backs instead of five or six, there just literally was not another defensive back on the field. Now, that's not an excuse, but it is an explanation for why we saw two busts with otherwise uh, veteran players. So I think that's something to watch. That intrigued me. I think there's there's some component there, and I wish I would have an opportunity to ask that as a press conference question, you know, this week because I do think there's a little bit of rational explanation there. Anyways, I wanted to share that thought uh, with you. I promise, and and I say these things and they sound boastful, and I hope I hope that they don't. But uh, I read 15 pages of what is it? Just chat room stuff. No one mentioned it, and I probably read 30 uh, articles this morning, and uh, no one mentioned it. I listened to a couple of press conferences. No one mentioned it, but I think there's teeth to that. I think that's a. I think there's. Uh, I think there's a certain logic to that approach, and so uh, that's that's sort of a fun theory there. So we'll see how that plays out. Any more busts like that, uh, especially in a, in a in a regular defense, which we won't play a lot of, and then maybe you know maybe that comes up in a press conference, and we can see how we measure up, uh, measure up on that one. All right, let's run through some other things on defense. Um, uh, Drew Sanders, I thought played well in his first start, uh, for Chris Allen, who was lost for the season last year. 
He had two tackles and two pass deflections. Those aren't big numbers, but let's say that again, two pass deflections. And so Drew Sanders, you know, I think uh, it's sort of well-known. His strength is going to be at the line of scrimmage uh, stuffing the run. And so the fact that uh, he went out in coverage, uh, batted a couple balls, uh, I, I thought was telling. We definitely saw him out in coverage uh, a little bit. We kidded about that with Will Anderson last uh, last week, uh, but, uh, but Drew Sanders uh, did that Saturday against Mercer, uh, which is interesting. One of his past deflections led to an interception that uh, Kool-Aid picked up. So uh, Drew Sanders, definitely productive there. Chris Braswell, I thought was good in relief for Will Anderson. Uh, he's not nearly as big, and I don't think nearly as physical. I think he's more of a pure pass rusher, whereas Will Anderson has grown into more of a, a, a multifaceted uh, player. But Chris had uh, – Braswell had three tackles. Uh, Dallas Turner uh, contributed three tackles as well. And then uh, King Makuda in the rotation, he had a, a tackle for loss. And then I start thinking on another sort of topic. Well, how do we replace Will Anderson? Now, hopefully Will's able to come back and give it a go and uh, give us some reps. I mean, hopefully he's able to come back and be full health, but let's, let's have, you know, sort of a what if, and let's also be a little bit realistic. If he comes back, he's probably not full strength and he probably is on a limited snap count. And so what do we do to sort of backfill uh, at the position? And I think we do multiple things, uh, replacing someone of uh, Will Anderson's talent. You know, it takes a village, right? And so I think we'll see a little bit of Sanders and Braswell uh, book in bookends, uh, so we'll see that uh, serve the need. I think it's all about getting your best players on the field where they can contribute. And that sometimes is an independent effort than what the true just straight up depth chart says. So when we think about it with that sort of philosophy, I think we might see Christian Harris play some outside linebacker as opposed to the middle linebacker position, I think. And then in the middle, you have Tua Tua, which are Toa Toa, which we know Hank, right? We know what he's capable of. And Jalen Moody has been playing so darn well at that middle linebacker position. And so if, if you had a defense that had uh, Toa Toa, Jalen Moody, and Chris, uh, Christian Harris, all three on the field at once, I think Christian Harris is sort of the top in athletically dynamic uh, of those guys. And uh, he could step in and play that outside uh, linebacker position for Will Anderson. Maybe not the whole game, but maybe it, maybe it's 10 or 12 snaps where we're rotating in multiple solutions to give Florida different things, things they've not seen before, but uh, uh, opportunities for us to, to solve for the Will Anderson missing puzzle piece. Uh, I would not at all be surprised uh, to see Christian Harris out there. Again, that has a lot to do with Jalen Moody playing just so darn well. And so uh, LeBron or uh, uh, Christian Harris at that position. And so I got ahead of myself at note in my notes. Uh, LeBron Ray, uh, I think, could also spend some reps at that position in more of a pure defensive end. So think about three down linemen, and then we bracket those three down linemen with outside linebackers. Well, if we said not not so much a four man front, although we could we could do that as well. Uh, but what if we said, look, we use this sort of hybrid linebacker with Will Anderson and we let him do other things. What if we're going to define that role to more specifically just be a defensive end than LeBron Ray, especially in sort of known run run situations? We put LeBron Ray in as a sort of a more of a defensive end as opposed to a hybrid outside linebacker. And I think that we could, I think we could sneak in, you know, five or eight snaps there as well. So that might be something to look at. So I think when when we go to see on the field, how do we solve for a missing Will Anderson? I think even if Will Anderson comes back and is on a pitch count, I think we've got layers of what we could do. Straight up Braswell, something with Christian Harris, and potentially something uh, even with a LeBron Ray. Now LeBron Ray himself is coming back from injury. And it was said that he was ready to go for the Miami game and he didn't play against Miami and he did not play uh, against Mercer. And so if we think of sort of a convergence of circumstance, LeBron Ray has a significant amount of upside potential, just his athleticism. And so maybe we're kind of, and he's been a little bit injury prone and he's coming back from injury. So we may say, look, LeBron Ray, we're going to sort of set you on the shelf and we're going to bring you in for critical situations, critical reps in critical games. Well, Florida's already going to be that. 
you know, Texas A&M is going to be that. Ole Miss might be that. Uh, later in the season, it might be an LSU. And so we're going to manage your snap count even just by managing the games that, that you play in. And so Florida, he was already probably going to get some reps. And uh, now he may have even more of a, a specific sort of designated uh, opportunity to support the team. And so that would be a nice storybook event uh, for him to come in and play well in those situations. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, other players, Toa Toa, I think looked great. He had six tackles, even with his injury. We remember he went out of the Miami game with uh, with a uh, an elbow injury. Well, he was wearing a brace, and it looked like it did not impact him at all. Uh, there was certainly, uh, like I said, six tackles, but he met the uh, he met the ball carrier uh, in the hole at the line of scrimmage. And you know, you go in and you wrap with both arms, and depending upon if the if the running back is on your right or left side, you're you're more leaning with that shoulder and that arm. And so his injury is on his right elbow. And like I said, he's got it all bandaged up. And he met the ball carrier head on with his right his right shoulder and his right arm. And so he led with the injured arm. We've seen players, linebackers, happens a lot with linebackers. Uh, we've seen linebackers where they have an injured arm and, and they're almost a one-armed player, which is better than Marcus Carter, but he's almost like a one-armed player. And they're, they're trying to shield or protect and hit with one side of their body to protect their other not Hank. And it could be just pain management tolerance. It could be that, you know, it didn't hurt as bad as it looked, you know, a week later could just be that he's a tough SOB, but he stepped into that hole and led with his injured, uh, his injured arm. And uh, I thought that was impressive. I almost expected to see, Hey, what is his wince level when, when he gets up, does he wince? Does he, does he hold his arm? Does he need to go out? Nah, you wouldn't know. If you didn't know he'd been injured, you wouldn't have known that, uh, that he was injured. Brian Young across the defensive front, I thought he was very active uh, across the DL. Uh, he really stepped up, four tackles, a sack, uh, two TFLs. He's a big old boy, and he's a guy that when we think about the depth of the defensive line, I kind of had him on the fringe of that rotation, and I think Saturday he stood up and said, hey, you guys at that podcast, whatever you guys are thinking, you need to jack me up that list. And uh, we would, uh, we certainly, we certainly recognize that and uh, and salute Byron Young in that regard. Uh, Phil Mathis, I thought, was very active. Uh, he had a sack. DJ Dale uh, looked good. He had a sack as well, which is rare for the nose tackle position, and you could argue maybe a little bit rare for uh, DJ Dale as well. I liked DJ Dale in the post game press conference. He just looks like a tough, menacing guy, and I've liked his performance. I've been bullish on him uh, coming back from injury, and I thought he has looked. Uh, uh, I thought he's looked good this year. Uh, Tim Smith. Uh, Tim Smith is more of a fan favorite at that position, and uh, I'd like to see Tim get some more reps. Even though I know it comes at the expense of DJ, I like uh, the versatility there. And uh, Tim Smith really looked good. And then Daniel Wright. Uh, I, you know, again, I think uh, his brother Major Wright played at Florida, and so I know Daniel really is going to want to play in this game. And I have sort of been bullish on him. Daniel Wright's the guy. Some of you remember a couple years ago, I sort of ran into someone at a, at a restaurant and we, that actually works in the football facility. And we just had just a conversation and I started throwing out a couple of player names and, and uh, Daniel Wright had started that game, which was a little bit of a surprise because he wasn't a starter. And uh, so we talked about, you know, his, his, his getting an opportunity and, you know, everybody, he talked about, you know, everybody likes Daniel Wright. Daniel Wright is an incredibly athletic player. He just doesn't, you know, he plays at one speed, which is full speed, uh, he doesn't always play patient, and he maybe doesn't know all the nuance of of the playbook. And I thought, well, you know, he's a sophomore. That's what you know. <laughs> that's what your sophomore year is for, uh, whether you play football or not. And and so I was bullish on him being uh, a more a better contributor last year. And he was in spots and not in others. He was sort of, sort of a boomer bus player. And I thought, man, this season. He's going to really surprise everyone and just pull it all together with this extra year that he has, that he decided to come back. He's really going to pull it all together. And I still hope and think that that could happen. Just I'm I'm letting go the strength of the grip that I have on that idea. And and Saturday, uh, Saturday was part of that. And so it pains me a little bit to see, to say that we might not see Daniel Wright uh, outside of special teams against Florida uh, at the same time, you know, maybe it doesn't pain me, uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. 
Uh, I think we're going to see him less in the rotation. I think that's just going to be a truth uh, of the matter with DeMarco Hellams back and, uh, and then the emergence of Brian Branch, you know, the emergence of McKinstry, right? There's a lot of different names and players that we could start to roll in as, as different puzzle pieces. Uh, so that'll be something, uh, something to watch. Uh, and unfortunately, I think Daniel, uh, Daniel Wright may see uh, his uh, opportunity to participate sort of diminish. We'll see how that goes. Uh, mini game ball. I got through this. Uh, well, I did mention his name, but uh, in a little bit of a different capacity. But I'm going to go mini game ball to Christian Harris. I think as quietly as possible, he led the team in tackles. Uh, he had eight tackles uh, with a TFL. He just seemed to play natural, very comfortable, and uh, was making plays sort of sideline to sideline or or end of line of scrimmage to end of line of scrimmage. Uh, number eight in uh, the Alabama defense just seemed to be in every screen, every shot. Uh, he was he was there, and so I think that's a that's a player that. I don't think he made like a headline play necessarily, but he made a lot of plays that contributed to the overall uh, success of the defense. All right, let's switch it up and go to uh, special teams. Just uh, there's there's a lot of special teams things to sort of reference and, and call out. And so I've, I've got a list of them here that I bulleted. And so let's take a look at those. Anytime your special teams units uh, block a punt and score a touchdown, that's a good day for special teams. And so uh, we definitely saw uh, early in the game, Alabama defense, really our offense, really struggling. Uh, so Chris Braswell blocks a punt, just goes completely unblocked. They've got the three sort of protectors and the one on the end just sort of barely sort of half-ass sticks his elbow out like that's going to block uh, Chris Braswell. And I'm thinking, what the hell else are you on the field to do but block a guy that's running straight at the punter. I do not understand that. If there had some, been someone coming to the inside, then you let the outside go to protect uh, the inside. But he wasn't. He was more focused on his job was to run down the field and cover. He was more concerned with covering the punt than he was blocking so that there could even be a punt. Oh, if I was a special teams coach at Mercer, Mercer I would be so aggravated uh, with that play. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Braswell made uh, – an outstanding block there, bat of the ball. Uh, Jace McClellan was able to scoop and score, and so that was certainly uh, fun to watch. Cameron Latou, I promised that we'd mention him on special teams. Uh, a couple of times he fielded uh, squib kicks uh, from Mercer, and I thought uh, I thought he handled those very, very cleanly. Uh, the second one, it was interesting. Uh, Saban had uh, not words like he was angry, but uh, he had something to say uh, to uh, Cameron about that. And, you know, and Saban's never going to miss an opportunity to coach or, hey, you did it this way. It could be a little, you know, this way, you know, whatever it was, uh, he was offered a, a little bit of coaching there. It's only going to make Cameron a better player. But nonetheless, what Cameron did on those two plays was textbook right. Well, I mean, Saban had a, an, a, an appendix he wanted to add. But from my lines, uh, you know, from my seat uh, in my recliner, I thought Cameron played both of those plays well. Uh, certainly possessed the ball, which is the intent of the return team. And those little squib kicks are designed to sort of throw off uh, the pattern, um, you know, maybe maybe get a turnover there. And so I thought Cameron did very well uh, in that regard. Uh, James Burnup, the Aussie kicker, I thought he acquitted himself. He had three punts, which, damn it, three punts. I didn't want to see any Alabama punts on Saturday and have to have to endure three of them. Ugh. But Burnup averaged 43 fields. Uh, Saban said it in his presser, we flipped the field uh, a couple times. So you got to like that uh, about special teams. And so I certainly, uh, I certainly, uh, I certainly enjoyed that. Uh, Jojo Earl uh, returning punts. You know, Saban was very clear and and uh, he said, look, we know what we get from Slade back there, which is very good stuff, and it's what we want. But Jojo has just the opportunity to be dynamic. So the compare and contrast uh, that Saban offered there, he has said, Saban has so has said so many good things about Jojo Earl that uh, I think we're going to see an increased role, an increased opportunity. Uh, we talked about straight up on offense. He led all receivers with catches and yards, and then he led all punt returners with catches and yards as well. We had two. He had uh, uh, 45 net yards. He had a 29-yarder. Uh, and a 16-yarder, and so I think this remains a platoon uh, or a platoon uh, at the position. It's everything is about possess the ball, possess the ball, and I think he wants to bring along 
uh, Jojo a little bit slow, but he still wants to give uh, Slade some reps uh, back there as well. And I think that's going to make Slade work a little harder at that position. Not that he's not already a hard worker, but he's going to continue to work hard there. And I think his effort uh, in his working with uh, Jojo, I think it's just going to net that both of them will benefit from that experience. And so uh, excited to see how that plays out. Uh, will Reichert, you know, the headline is going to be that he missed a kick. And it's going to be such a disproportional negative because, you know, frankly, it's his first miss after, you know, 19, after 19 makes. It's his first miss since what, 2019? And so, but it's a single, it's a single miss. And it was whatever the distance was, but he did have two field goal makes uh, and he had six PAT makes. And so Will had a very, very productive day. Uh, He is an outstanding kicker. And so it will be annoying to see the articles and everything said about the miss because it'll be sort of inflated, but that's the nature of it. Every, every, uh, every sort of outlet is going to have their version uh, of that story, but uh, nonetheless, there you go. All right. So let's flip to next Florida in Gainesville. And so again, you know, Saban is, you know, Saban said it in his, in his uh, post game press conference or his post game interview with uh, what is it, Cole Kubik uh, on the on the sideline, and he had a he had sort of that wry grin or smile that uh, that Saban has, and, and again, we see more of that now than than we used to. But you know, Saban made it very clear he's <laughs> uh, getting ready for next week. You know that uh, basically, you know, players, if, you know, they're going to have to shake themselves or they're going to be shook. Uh, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was an interesting comment, and, and he's he's exactly right. This is a team that we're that the preparation is going to have to be all in. It's going to have to be invested. It's not going to be sort of a, a half-baked Josh, oh, Jess, Jess Nichols over at Tidefans.com uh, had a really nice article, and and his, his headline said that's exactly – when I read his headline, you know, half-baked effort, I was like, well, that's exactly right. That's exactly the right expression uh, for what we saw here, and, you know, Saban had been preaching that all week. And so Florida is not going to need a half-baked effort. It's going to need a full five-star effort, and so – uh, hopefully this week we see that, we hear report of that, uh, Saban sees that, and the team delivers that. When we think about the game, and there's a, some level as a fan, there's some level of assumption that that's, uh, that's going to be the case. And uh, not to overly simplify, but I think that's appropriate. I think that's right, that the team will be more juiced for Florida than they were for Mercer, right? I mean, come on. So when we think about Florida, I think the matchups – uh, in this game are really going to be critical. Now I'll, I'll cop to, you know, Sunday, mid, uh, Sunday afternoon. I've not yet done all of my homework on Florida, but uh, uh, that's coming. If we think about Florida, but I, I still think the matchups are critical. When we think about Florida with Dan Mullen teams, you know, they typically pretty solid on offense. Uh, I think Alabama matches well, Alabama's strength is, strength is the defense. And so if, if, Florida's going to be stronger on offense, and Alabama right now is stronger on defense, and I think that's a good matchup, and I like Alabama in that regard, even if even if Will Anderson is out or, uh, or limited. I think Alabama can still be very strong on defense, and so I like that matchup. Uh, Alabama has – or I'm sorry, Florida has lost players on defense. Now, all the talk is about the players they lost on offense, but they lost players on defense as well. I think across the defensive line, they have a couple of Auburn transfers. And that's, uh, you know, we can read between the lines there. That weakens Auburn, certainly. But I don't know that we've had problem, uh, problems with Auburn's defensive line uh, the last couple of years. And so that's what Florida has sort of replaced uh, their players last year. And they had a couple of guys last year that I thought uh, were very, very good. Uh, and so if they're replaced with Auburn defensive lines that may be players that we weren't necessarily as concerned about, then maybe that plays to our favor. And, um, you know, I think Alabama, while not as proven on offense, certainly compared to 2020, I think it's easier. I think that's easier to address in game planning than gaps on in defense, because sometimes that's just talent. That's just talent that's not available to you. Uh, to the coaching staff, whereas in offense, you have the opportunity to scheme uh, a little bit more than you do uh, on defense. And so we'll see how that plays out. We saw a well-schemed Alabama play against Miami. And so um, we'll see how that plays out uh, against Florida. I think uh, I think the matchups both sort of tilt in the, in the way of Florida, or I'm sorry, in the way of Alabama. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, again, if, if I were projecting right now today, 
I would call it kind of a 27 to 20 uh, style game with Alabama, uh, Alabama uh, winning the game. We do have an interview with Florida that we're uh, Florida uh, podcast that we're recording hopefully on Monday. And so that'll come out and we'll get some additional insight to Florida and see how, what we think about uh, how that team matches up. And then we'll get together with uh, the zoom call on Saturday and we'll unpack Florida uh, in a lot more detail in the zoom call and uh, we'll run through uh, predictions there as well. If you're not getting the invitations to the Zoom calls in your email box, then it's because you're not uh, a member yet of our support program. And so if you want to listen to the Zoom calls, if you want to participate in the Zoom calls, hit the hit the website, hit me an email or hit the website, uh, alabamafootballpodcast.com or at gmail.com, and uh, we'll get the information you need uh, to make that happen. Speaking of predictions, uh, Chris was closest last week with his Mercer prediction. Uh, he went 51 to 10. That's the most points that any of us predicted that Mercer would, would have. And um, that was closest to uh, the 48 prediction that uh, Alabama had. So uh, Chris wins the sort of the pick contest. Not that there's a pride uh, a prize other than just, you know, that uh, you know that you guessed it right. All right. So that's what we have uh, for today's show. Uh, drop us an email, leave us a review. Uh, we appreciate you listening. We absolutely 100% do. Uh, and we hope you'll give us a ride on the uh, on the Zoom calls. You can join for a month for $2. And for $2, you can like download everything that we have and then join a month's worth of Zoom calls and really just test drive the entire bonus structure program for $2. It's the best deal we can that we can offer uh, because we want to get more people engaged and involved in that because we think it's a it's a really good program, a really good sort of level of access, uh, if you will, and uh, a way to engage and participate with us. And it's just so much damn fun that we think for $2, you will agree and, and uh, you'll, you'll join and support us for longer. So with that, uh, yep, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.